0: We'll be in Luke chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Before we get to our text, I want to ask you, if I say the word Marvel, what do you think of? My guess is a multi-billion dollar industry. (laughs) The universe, right, of uh, superheroes with names like Iron Man, Captain America, Hulk, Thor, Spider-Man and seemingly endless number of superheroes. But before the word Marvel meant superheroes to us, what does the word Marvel mean? It means to be filled with wonder and astonishment. So this universe of superheroes created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby needed a name that fit a universe filled with superhumans that could do wonderful and astonishing things. Tomorrow, my family is headed up to Niagara Falls for a few days over uh, spring break, and we're going to see one of the great wonders of the world. I remember the first time as a kid going to Niagara Falls. We lived in western New York, and we actually would go quite often. And not just the first time, but every time I went, I could not look away. I was in awe of what I saw, filled with wonder and astonishment. I marveled at water rushing over a cliff and falling 170 feet to the river below. It was inspiring, and some people would say it's even life-changing. This morning, as we come to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, an empty tomb with just grave clothes left in a pile, Luke tells us that when Peter left the empty tomb, he marveled at what had happened. Some might say the empty tomb is inspiring, but to be inspired by something while giving you a new perspective is not life-changing. What I pray this morning is whether you've been a Christian for many years or you're here this morning and you aren't sure what you believe or maybe you know this morning that you, I just don't believe I pray that we're not merely inspired, but that the truth of the resurrection changes our lives. Let's read Luke 24, verses 1 through 12. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And he went home marveling at what had happened. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, your word, your living word, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and has risen, and now is seated at your right hand. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear this morning. Lord, that the accounts given to us by Luke of the resurrection, would not just be inspiring, but Lord, that our lives would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you've not been with us for our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, the sermon series is titled Confidence in Christ. And I want to remind all of us, whether you've been here or not, that Luke was not an eyewitness to Jesus. Luke is a... Greek who heard the story of Jesus, came to faith in Christ, and then goes and explores, goes and inter- interviews. He does a investigation of what he has heard. And so, he gives us in his writing in Luke and Acts, he gives us a investigation of what he, what he found And he wrote his gospel that we might have confidence. Confidence in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection. This past week on Monday Thursday, we looked at the crucifixion of Jesus in our text. And we said that we must understand that there is no redemption without the crucifixion of Jesus. And we saw in the text that the crucifixion is the redeeming work of Jesus. And so we come to our text this morning and we're confronted with a question. Are we resurrection knowers or resurrection marvelers? Now, you certainly have to know something to marvel at it. But knowledge of something doesn't necessarily become marveling. So you can be here this morning and know about the resurrection of Jesus. You can have... Factual knowledge of this idea that a guy named Jesus rose from the dead. A man who claimed to be God, a man who was crucified and died on a cross. He was buried and on the third day rose from the grave. A tragically beautiful story that you can know. Yet, what you know, what you have knowledge about, maybe hasn't turned you into a marveler. In fact, you may be skeptical at this story that this story is true. And you won't be the first to be skeptical, and you won't be the last. In fact, as we read, those who first encountered the empty tomb, those who first heard of the resurrection didn't believe it was true either. They were skeptics as well. Those who would eventually take this message to the known world, the apostles, that would be put to death because of this message that they proclaimed were once skeptics too. But the good news of the resurrection is, our main point from our text, the resurrection of Jesus turns skeptics and betrayers into marvelers. The resurrection of Jesus turns skeptics and betrayers into marvelers. We see this in the women, and the 11, and what Luke says, the rest, and then in Peter. First, in the women, in verses one through eight, we read that they went on that first day of the week in the early morning, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, right? These, These women, despite six resurrection predictions from Jesus throughout the gospel of Luke, throughout his ministry, and he may have even predicted his resurrection more, but Luke gives us six, these women do not believe that they are going to find an empty tomb. <laughs> they believe that they are going to find the dead body of their friend Jesus in the tomb because they have taken spices with them to put over the body. They did not go to check to see if the resurrection had taken place. <laughs> the fact that they were going to anoint the body shows that they expected to find a dead man. In a real sense, these women were the first skeptics. Even though Jesus had repeatedly told them, I must die and I will rise again, they were skeptical. They went to the tomb, not expecting to find what they did. And what did they find? They found a stone rolled away in an empty grave and The text says they are perplexed. They have no category for what they are seeing. There's nothing that they have experienced in the past that could help them understand what it is that they've just encountered. And then these two men, angels, appear and ask, why do you look for the living among the dead? Put simply, hey, Jesus is alive. Why did you expect to find him in a tomb? And then the angels say to them, remember what he told you. Remember what he predicted during his teaching in Galilee. Remember how he told you the son of man, his term for himself coming from the book of Daniel, meaning the one who is like God, the son of man must be delivered into the hands of, Of sinful men be crucified and on the third day rise again. Jesus said these very words. And Luke says, as the angels remind them of the words of Jesus, the text says, they remembered his words. It was like a light bulb. As bright as the angels standing there went off in their collective heads, the very word of God, Jesus spoke these words to them, and they remembered and they believed. The word of God finally penetrates the perplexed minds of sinful humans and produces faith. For the first time, Jesus' words are truly understood and remembered, that is, understood by faith and believed as is shown by these women going to faithful report all these things to the apostles. At long last, minds and eyes are being opened to understand God's word. See, it wasn't just merely the fact of the empty tomb, but it is the, the reality of the empty tomb cu- coupled with the word of God spoken to them, that these two things together is what produce this faith, this understanding that they had not had before. And we see in God's word that no event has been left unexplained, no part of God's creation or man's life. And the women, along with the rest of Jesus' disciples, as they come to understand Jesus' words in light of his resurrection, they need to be reminded of them. You know, our world at large has words of Jesus available to it, right? We sing them at Christmas in our carols. We see them printed in, you know, uh, see them in uh, Super Bowl commercials. We hear them. Love your neighbor as yourself. We have Jesus' words all around us. And we, the church, are called to preach them, to teach them, and apply them. And yet, both the church and the world are often ignorant of the words of Jesus, or we forget. And we need to be reminded, like the angels to the women, what Jesus has said. That this word of God is the system of faith which takes everything into account and interprets all of life as one connected and meaningful whole in Jesus. Right? It wasn't just the fact that Jesus rose from the dead that this light bulb comes off it comes off in the women's mind and they remember his words and believe that he's but it's beginning to have a whole new understanding of the world. Right, Like we'll see next week in the disciples on the road to Emmaus when Jesus opens up the scriptures and tells them that everything that was written in the prophets and the law was about him. Their minds are opened up and they see that the word of God relates to everything. Because the word of God is made flesh in Jesus Christ, the author, sustainer of all things. We see this reality in the 11 and all the rest. The reference to the apostles are the 11. Judas is no longer one of the apostles. He has taken his own life. So there's 11. And this to the rest would refer to the 72 that we, that we come across in Luke. And possibly even more than that. Disciples who have had followed Jesus into Jerusalem on that first triumphal entry a week ago. And though the women are convinced by what they have seen and heard and remembered, the rest are not. They come to belief slowly, and many of the disciples are originally skeptics about the, regu- about the regis- res- resurrection, right? At first, they regard the women, the text says, as hysterical, right? They, they are telling an idle tale. We see this in verses uh, um, Nine and following, they returned from the tomb and told all these things to eleven and to all the rest. Luke tells us who, who these women were: Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and other women. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. This word used for idle tale, leros, in the Greek was used in everyday Greek to refer to someone who was telling delirious stories by someone who was very sick or suffered in great pain, or tales told by those who did not perceive reality. Right, so the disciples don't believe what they're hearing. And part of the reason for this unbelief is obviously like today, back then, they knew that dead man did did not rise. Dead men did not rise. But it also contradicted their expectations Of the Messianic Age, of this new age that Jesus was proclaiming. They believed in a final resurrection, sure, that at the end of days there was a resurrection, but not one that would usher in the Messianic Age, the kingdom of God. They were literally not believing. Right? They did not believe them, the text says, and would be literally translated, they, did, they were not believing. It indicates this ongoing disbelief of the report, despite the fact that the women continued to speak to the apostles. At this point, the apostles do not comprehend God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. And Luke makes it extremely clear that they do not believe. And Some commentators believe that Luke is possibly, because he's the one who, who shows us the disbelief most clearly in the disciples, that Luke is possibly seeking to reassure us, his original readers and us today, of the truth and certainty of the things that we have been taught about the resurrection. To help us see that the disciples were not easily convinced, that the first disciples were not like, oh yeah, sure, yep, resurrection, great, yeah, I believe it. No, it took... Jesus coming to them, it took them remembering what Jesus had taught them over a period of time for them to believe in the resurrection because of the overwhelming experience that they encountered in the risen Jesus Christ. So the disciples' unbelief in a way becomes an aid to our belief by magnifying the disciples' skepticism, Luke magnifies the miracle of the resurrection. Right? Only the clear and unmistakable appearance of a risen man, of the risen Christ, could have overcome such doubt and replaced it with unshakable faith. A faith that was so unshakable would lead to their martyrdom. Jesus will eventually tell his disciples that it was good that they believed because they saw him because they saw his resurrected body. But he says, blessed are those who hear and believe. This morning, the gospel writer Luke has written that you might believe, or that you might hear and believe, that you might have confidence in what has been told to you. And finally, we see in our text this idea that the resurrection of Jesus turns skeptics into betrayers. The women were skeptics. The 11 and the others were skeptics. But it also turns a betrayer into a believer, into a marveler. Peter, right? Peter's initial response is that these women are telling an idle tale, right? He's a part of the 11, right? It does, Luke doesn't say 10, plus the others. He says, the 11, like Luke, Peter was his initial response to hearing what the women were saying was that it was an idle tale. But something stirs in him to check out the story that he initially didn't believe. Something is happening. In a short period of time, could it be that Peter remembers the words of Jesus from just a few days prior, that he, Peter, would do something that he believed he could never do, deny Jesus three times? He remembers these words of Jesus coming true, and maybe he wonders in that moment, as he is thinking of these women as telling idle tales, maybe in that moment he wonders, maybe the words of Jesus that the women are saying and reminding us of that Jesus spoke to us in Galilee, maybe these words are true too. So Peter goes to the tomb and he sees for himself the empty tomb. And the text says Peter went home marveling at what had happened. Now, marveling or wondering or being in astonishment can be associated in Scripture with doubt and unbelief. And many commentators would say, well, we can't know that Peter was marveling in a good way. But it can also be associated with a positive response. In fact, in Luke chapter 7, the text tells us that Jesus marveled at the faith of the centurion in which Jesus said there was no faith greater in all of Israel. And it says that Jesus marveled at his faith. Jesus' marveling was in the context of belief, a very positive thing. So it's in the context that dictates how we understand this word that's translated as marveling. And I would contend that Peter's marveling should be interpreted positively. If Peter does not yet have true saving faith, he certainly has new hope. He marvels at the resurrection Might be true. He marvels that Jesus' words, all that he spoke to them, might be more than he ever imagined. He marvels that if Jesus is risen, then something new and glorious is happening. And what exactly happened? Why does Luke end this section of text this way? He ends it with this word, and he went home marveling at what had happened happened in English is translated from the Greek giganos, is the perfect active participle of ginomai. Why do I say that? You're like, John, who cares about the Greek? Because I think it's important here in this point. Luke is saying more than an event just happened. Like I went to opening day for the Pirates with my son Josh on Friday. That happened. That's not what Luke is saying here. He is saying that something, that he went away marveling at what had happened. This Greek verb, ginomai, has the sense that something new has come into existence, right? Luke is saying more than an event merely happened, but that something new has come into existence through the empty tomb, to happen with the implication of what happens is different from a previous state. Something new has actually begun. And one of the reasons I think that we can understand Luke using this term here and not meaning that just something, an event merely just happened, is going back to chapter 23, verse 56 on the sabbath day they rested according to the commandment now luke is clear that to tell us that they rested on the sabbath he's speaking of course of the friends of jesus because right before that he said they returned and prepared spices and ornaments and on the th- o- ointments and on the sabbath day they rested according to the commandment but think about it who else rested on the sabbath Jesus rested on the Sabbath. His body rested in the tomb. Just as in Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3 tells us that God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. I believe Luke is reminding us that the work of salvation is done. That the Son of God rested That the the work of redemption has been completed and Jesus is resting from his work in the grave. He's resting because he's got something new coming. He's resting because he has a, a new work to begin. He is resting, ready to begin the work of making all things new. And that is what happened. Now, I doubt Peter understood all that in his mind, but Luke, the writer of the gospel, is giving us this hint that what Peter experienced that day, what had happened, was something new and glorious. Something new was happening, something new was beginning. And Jesus had rested in the tomb, and now in His resurrection, He is ready to get to work. In Revelation, we read, He is the beginning and the end; He is the Alpha and the Omega. He has, He is making all things new. Jesus rested on the seventh day from the work of redemption. And when he rose from the dead, he begins the work of making all things new. Luke is hinting at this, not that Peter fully understood it yet, but it was, the begin, it was beginning to dawn on him even, just like the dawn of that first day of resurrection, that something new is happening. G.K. Chesterton speaking on this text He says, On the third day, the friends of Christ, coming at daybreak to the place, found the grave empty and the stone rolled away. In varying ways, they realized the new wonder, the new marvel. But even they hardly realized that the world had died in the night. What they were looking at was the first day of a new creation, with a new heaven and new earth. And in a semblance of the gardener, God walked in the garden not as he had in the cool of the evening in Genesis, but in the cool of the dawn, a new day has risen, a new creation had begun. Brothers and sisters, are we resurrection knowers or resurrection marvelers? May the resurrection of Jesus, which turned skeptics and betrayers into marvelers, do the same for us today. And may that marveling be transformed into the experience and knowledge and doing of what God in Christ has called us to do in his new creation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you For Jesus, for his life, death, and for his resurrection. That in that new day, he is making all things new. Lord, may we marvel at this new creation that has begun and will continue, and that your Son, our Savior, will complete on that great day. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name.